broken economics, climate change targets, liberals at it again, and good news about plastics. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host, Ben Davison, and I am in what is now sunny central Victoria. He's been blowing a gale here for days. And joining me live from the city on the harbour, the home of what I can only describe as the most dysfunctional branch of the Liberal Party outside of Victoria... (laughs) Is the great, the glorious, my wife, best-selling author of QAnon and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults. You can get it on any format you like. Van Batam. How are you, Van? I'm I'm pretty good, Ben. I am missing you. And, of course, our dog Germanica is terribly. Uh, but, you know, it is a beautiful afternoon in Sydney. Sunny all around. It is sunny all around. It's a bit, it's, it's a bit um, disquieting. I'm like, where's the rain? When's <laughs> yeah. the rain coming back? So well, any other Sydney siders uh, who are listening to this broadcast, now might be the time uh, to Tarzan grip all of your um, cracks and crevices in your home because the rain, of course, will come. It will it come will back. Come. It will. We won't spend too much time talking about the weather today because it has been a huge week in Australian politics and for working people. And we have heaps to cover. I want to do a quick segment called Quick Bites, something that you and I discussed very briefly just to try and get through some of the stuff that's been going on in Parliament. Oh, yeah. Well, the pace of change is extraordinary. And for younger people who don't remember what it's like to have Labor government, it's like, oh, right, this is what it's like. I know this happy feeling where legislation gets passed really quickly, there's heaps of policy, you know, you have these monumental sort of push-forward nation-building changes, and it's actually really fantastic to see a, a Labor government, well, it's fantastic to see a Labor government if you share any of the ideals that this program represents, but also one that's not wasting time. Like they've hit the ground running. They have a mandate for change from the Australian people um, who absolutely devastated the coalition who had been in government for nine years, and it's happening. It's exciting. It is. And, of course, there's all sorts of consultations that go on as well, but the pace of legislative change, as you say, Van, has been cracking. And the first piece of legislation out of the box, into the House, and passed through the Senate yesterday was, of course, aged care reforms. These are the reforms that Scott Morrison failed to deliver after the Aged Care Royal Commission that Labor has acted on immediately. I'm just going to run through some of these. There'll be time for us to talk about various elements of these in different episodes at different times. Of course, aged care reforms are a key plank of the microeconomic reform and social reform that Labor promised at the election. The cashless debit card uh, legislation, to scrap that, has been introduced into the House and passed in the House This van, I think this sort of blew you and me both way. It has to be phased out because some cashless debit cards have been tied to Afterpay. Uh, Which is just absolutely outrageous. You know, it was so interesting. Annika Wells, whose ministerial purview um, this falls under, who's the member for Lily, who's a brilliant young woman. She really is. 
Uh, she was speaking about this yesterday. She gave a really devastating speech and she got a question from the coalition which was like, oh, how can you justify getting rid of the cashless debit card? It's so good. And she pulled out these figures that the former coalition government had had mm-hmm. that was part of an evaluation where one in four cashless debit card recipients said that the card had actually made them more unsafe and more liable to face harm like 25% of the people who are on it were believed that they were at increased physical risk. And it's just like that is unconscionable to find out there was a relationship between this diabolical scheme and afterpay is truly shocking and that it hasn't been as simple as anybody wanted to to mm-hmm. unpick it, but they're pressing forward and they are getting it done. I think Amanda Rishworth got a question on that again today uh, and, and made absolutely Sorry, I, I, you know, I'm sorry. I mean Amanda Rishworth, not Annika Wells. Um, well, so that is Amanda Rishworth is obviously the Minister for Social Services and from South Australia. But obviously I've got Annika on the brain because of the reforms in the aged care sector which have been taking place. But it was Amanda Rishworth, I correct myself, who made that point about the one in four harmed yesterday. Isn't it great that we have uh, a government with so many women ministers now that we can actually lose track of which minister is in charge of uh, which thing. Uh, We've come a long way from Julie Bishop, haven't we? And and Tony Abbott being the minister for women, a long, long way. Um, there's lots of other things going on as well. People might have noticed on social media, unions are visiting with MPs, giving them little plaques with a dollar coin that says, absolutely, I love this. This is a throwback to the campaign when uh, Anthony Albanese was asked, do you support uh, minimum wages keeping up with the cost of living? And he said, absolutely. And, of course, for days in the campaign, this became a big issue. Unions with, uh, you know, workers with their uh, union leaders are going and visiting with MPs. You're seeing these photos come up all over social media. I think it's great. You see cleaners, healthcare workers, retail workers, you know, in Parliament House, giving these MPs this little reminder that, you know, they're on their side. The MPs are on the side of the workers and that's what they're there to do. It's fantastic to see. And hopefully, hopefully we'll see more of it, that kind of thing uh, going forward. Of course, Van, in the arts and culture section of the show, there is a new cultural policy expert review panel has been announced. Yeah, so Tony Burke is the Minister for the Arts, so I still can't get over turned up to a Sydney Film Festival event to promote Australian content. And I I was there, I was hosting the panel uh, for uh, Mia, the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance, working with Directors Guild and a bunch of other associated creative unions for the Make It Australian campaign so we can try and get Mm -hmm. actual productions of, you know, Australian stories, Australian art made in this country. And Tony Burke was there, like he was invited, but he actually came. Nobody's had an arts minister visit them in years. He went to Q&A straight after that too, right? Yeah, and then he went off to uh, he went he went to Trades Hall, and then he went to Q and A, and was like, "Who is this person who cares about us?" People were genuinely shocked, <laughs> and of course, you know, people talk about cultural policy, and the Liberals sort of vaguely alluded to one. Never had an actual policy before an election because arts schmarts. 
but they're doing it. So Burke announced this week the formation of a number of expert panels looking at different areas of cultural policy. They're going to be calling for submissions. Arts friends, you should all make a submission about what do you think the cultural policy should look like. I'm certainly going to make one in all of my free time. Um, and, yeah, like there's really there's a large amount of Indigenous representation as well, people from across different uh, artistic practices, disciplines and backgrounds. It's kind of it's kind of shocking. It's, it's amazing. genuinely amazing. Staying with uh, possibly our hardest working minister, Tony Burke, and his uh, quite broad portfolio, everything from arts and culture through to industrial relations and employment, he has set up a parliamentary committee to look into the Workforce Australia program. This, of course, was a program sort of thrust uh, onto the Australian people, uh, particularly uh, those working Australians who are currently not in a job, uh, by the departing Morrison government at the cost of around $7 billion uh, that goes out the door to private providers. Tony Burke has announced that there will be a, a possible overhaul of this, this program that really was thrust onto us there was an election and then Labor was kind of lumped with having to implement it. Tony Burke has been on the record making a number of, some some say significant changes, others say not. I think he's actually doing the best he can in a fairly constrained set of contracts, but this review hopefully will allow more uh, Labor policy to be implemented rather than the old government's policy approach. And finally, Van, the last thing I want to touch on, there's so much going on in Parliament, but there's also a review of the Australian Defence Force going to be conducted by... Yeah, there were a lot of questions about that in Question Time today. And the really exciting news is that, I mean, one of the things that was revealed today was that uh, Ed, the Prime Minister, I think, actually fielded the question um, about, oh, yes, well, you know, why are you having this review? And apparently there are so many defence projects that are running behind time and the the Prime Minister made the point that if you added up all the time that they're running behind time, it's something like 70 years. Yeah. Yep. It's shocking. Yep. And this is massive amounts of money as well and defence review is obviously very needed, um, spoken about in terms of, you know, boondoggles and just who was responsible for what in the previous government. Who knows? Who knows? But um, but uh, one of my favourite uh, politicians who has since retired and gone on to other things will be back, and that's Stephen Smith from Western Australia, who is now Pro- Professor Stephen Smith, former Defence Minister under Rudd Gillard, and he will be chairing an independent review with a number of people on it to look at defence spending. Yeah, Angus Houston, the former Head of Defence, will be involved in that as well, of course, uh Angus Houston is a well-respected member of, or former member, now retired, of the Defence Force. And it is, you know, we've talked on the show before about Peter Dutton giving a billion dollars to a company that had no staff and no equipment and no ability to do anything, and actually it was the wrong company and they gave him the money anyway. Uh, But they were a liberal donor, so it's going to be interesting. Oh, well, (laughs) yeah, it'll be interesting to see how defence spending is allocated when liberal donors aren't involved, and that's not a question. I, I think it could be a revolutionary period for us all, Benjamin. Revolutionary. 
It will. It will indeed. I still can't believe I mixed up Amanda Rishworth with Annika Wells, especially because I've known Amanda Rishworth for about 30 years. <laughs> well, our apologies to Minister Rishworth. Minister uh, Rishworth. And Minister Wells. Uh, we hope that neither of you is offended by our small uh, small slip of the tongue there. Look, Van, I want to move on to broken economics because this is dominating the public square at the moment, the discussion about the cost of living and what's going to happen with the cost of living. Uh, and the people and- running the capitalist system don't seem to understand how the capitalist system works. Yes, Ben, I think it's a problem. It is a problem. Yesterday, interest rates went up by 0.5%. That means the cash rate is now 1.85% for those still following along with the old way of doing election campaigns. There you go. Bingo. You win. Um Of course, what this really means is that people who started the year with a mortgage that had a two in front of it now have a mortgage with a four in front of it. That is quite a big jump for a lot of people. Uh, At the same time, inflation is being tipped to reach as high as 7.75%. But Van, what we're starting to see is a body of economists question the whole concept as we have been doing on this show for well, two years nearly. This is our 99th episode. Uh, question the whole concept of applying a monetary theory to our current situation and that, in fact, maybe it's making it worse. Ross Gittins has come out on this recently. Yeah, Ross Gittins has come out on this recently. And, I mean, Ben and I have discussed this before. If you go back to previous episodes, I think maybe it was last week we had a big rant about Milton Friedman and free market economics, which is totally worth listening to as a primer. But the problem is we have all of these people who are in charge of the levers of the economy who have been educated almost exclusively in what we call, you know, monetarist theory. And monetarist theory is based on some assumptions that the real world keeps proving are are not true and they're not appropriate to the situation we find ourselves in. You and I were having this discussion about how – Economists tend to deal with the present crisis the way they wish they dealt with the last one, failing to recognise that we're actually in a different crisis. It's like saying, wow, that drought was really bad and now that it's raining heavily, we should do something about the drought. Like, it's not comparable what is going on. It's the Nationals always wanting to build uh, dams whenever there's a drought and failing to realise that actually it's about how you use the water uh, as well as how you collect it um, that makes a difference in a drought. And that's kind of the issue here in economics, right? Because fundamentally how we use the money is as important as where we're storing it. And how it's being used at the moment is it's being used to prop up corporate profits. It's not being used to fuel wage growth. It's not being used to fuel productive enhancement. In fact, there's some more stories that have come out today that I haven't had a time to really get into, but I hope to read tonight and tomorrow about actually declining levels of overall productivity in Australia, even while there has been increasing levels of labour productivity. So the, the, the profits that are being skimmed are so unearned now. They're directly coming out of workers' pockets. And there's some really, you know, classic 
clear-cut examples of this. The four biggest oil companies have doubled their profits in the first half of 2022. You know, we talk about an energy crisis and possible energy shortage, and the reality is these companies are making huge, huge profits. There's no shortage of oil and gas. It's just about price control. It is about price control and price gouging, and the fact that uh, a lack of um, a lack of regulation around prices, and the fact that we had in this country nine years of a Liberal National Party government that deliberately suppressed wages. Well, these things are coming home to roost. It is extraordinary to go to a supermarket and see just the increases in in prices and various items. And not all of this is happening because there is a genuine shortage, although with food there are obviously material limits on reality, like if climate change is destroying certain kinds of crops, we're not going to have those available to us uh, in the way that we were accustomed to. And obviously the war in Ukraine is affecting things and the rest of it. But the real issue is that there is absolutely rampant price gouging going on and a lot of corporations are addicted to exponential profit growth at the expense of everything else. This week I wrote about our friends at Qantas for yep. The Guardian and I am quite sure fans of this show have heard both you and I together and separately go off our minds about Qantas's corporate behaviour. But Qantas is a really good example. They hiked their prices this week. This is a company that got a $2 billion like free gift of capitalisation from the Australian taxpayer during the pandemic, used it to upgrade fleets but also to engage in bullying corporate tactics to intimidate and crush rivals so they wouldn't have to lift their production standards like and their um, commercial offering. The passenger experience at Qantas, and this is what the article is about, is appalling at the moment, absolutely, because who's their competition? And they've cut staff and they've cut ground crew and they've cut cabin crew and, and you know, all the, you know, the people components of service have been absolutely gutted by Qantas. You know, they may have upgraded their planes, but they've cancelled the staff agreements for the people who actually uh, do the work. Them. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And it is extraordinary because anybody who remembers Qantas before the dark times Everybody knows that the greatest asset that airline ever had was its staff. It had the most extraordinarily collegiate staff culture where Qantas employees could not do enough for you. And they're still there. That that staff culture is still there, but being restricted and cut and sacked and totally wrecked by management. It is an extraordinary time that we're living through. But of course, this is happening in numerous sectors where capitalists are like, well, what could we get away with? It's and, a real- you know, I do believe somebody wrote a really good book about this once. I think well- it was called Capital and it was yeah, really <laughs> quite in-depth analysis of how the inherent logic of the capitalist system is to exploit to the point of collapse. Well, I think it's really interesting because we're seeing this occur, right? So obviously with oil and gas, these are feed-in components. These are inputs into so many other things. If the price of oil goes up, price of gas goes up, price of energy goes up, then it's going to have a knock-on effect even on the price of food. Price of fertilizer goes up, has an impact on the price of food. When the price of travel and transport goes up, it has a price impact for food. So so many of the elements of, of what is being gouged out as profit is going to come back and hit everyday working people in their pockets, at the checkout, at the Bowser, obviously, all those things. But 
it you know it doesn't have to be like this. Profits are up twenty one point six percent. There was an article, and I've tweeted it, and lots of people have got on this already. But Lamborghini, which is obviously an absolute luxury brand, um, supercar brand, have had a record year for sales and a record year for profits, but is still probably going to increase prices anyway. <laughs> like this is this is the capitalist mindset now. Here you have one of the, if not the most expensive vehicle on the road, having record sales, record years, and going, man, we're going to jack up prices anyway because we can get away with it. That is that is the capitalist mindset distilled and in its clearest, most crystalline form. You can That is infiltrated into Qantas, into Westpac. You know, th- this, this blew my mind. Westpac had a $3.146 billion profit in six months, six months. Now, that was slightly down, about 1% down in terms of their overall profit. They want to cut costs by 11%, and they want the workers to take a pay cut to help fund an increase in profit, not to get back to profitability, not to help save the company, not to make sure there doesn't need to be mass layoffs, but just to lift the 3.1%. One four six. Let's call it three point one five billion dollar profit to say I don't know four billion. These people have no limit to their greed, but the FSU, the, the union that represents those workers, is organising. They're doing the work to make sure that uh, that uh, that Westpac doesn't get away with that sort of thing. And we're seeing this happen right across the country now too, man. Workers are saying enough is enough, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're actually seeing it across the the world is that there is this, we've reached a point um, in economic history where the propaganda that was used so effectively to attack and demonise trade unions is not working anymore. I mean, we had decades and decades of, oh, union thugs and, you know, oh, we're all bad and, and they're coming for you and they're evil and corrupt and bikies and greedy and they eat bugs and God knows what else. The Liberals were trying it again in question time today, you know, demonising trade unions and, and the rest of it, and this has been their tactic all week by the way and it's but it's not working one because the internet has allowed trade unions to portray themselves truthfully yeah. and and the the image of what unions are and what you know union members do and what the leadership looks like doesn't actually match the demonized propaganda depiction of unions can you imagine and people are joining them again people who listen to this show write to us all the time talking about their experiences of joining unions um, and having a positive experience and feeling engaged and empowered and taking action in the workplace but it's also happening all over the world it i just want to do a big solidarity to all the starbucks unions and the amazon unions in the united states people in unbelievably precarious workplace scenarios in that country Country where things like minimum wage, eh, take it or leave it in various places if you work in hospitality. Like it's been incredible. Somebody made the point that two years ago there was not a single unionised Starbucks in the United States of America and now there are like more than 200 of them because people are getting it. Like that, you can't keep grinding people into the ground if you are relying on them to do the work. And it doesn't matter if they work for an airline or for, you know, a hospitality business or if they're clean or teachers or journalists or anybody else like there is a union for everyone and there should be 
Absolutely. And our only way, our only way of getting power in the industrial conversation is to join trade unions. And seeing the union representatives going around giving that dollar coin with that absolutely, like this is the point of having a political movement of trade unionism. This is why trade unions created, you know, laborist parties was so that they had a channel to have the interests of working people represented, legislated and protected in law. And, I mean, it's an exciting time to have a Labor government in Australia where this critical mass of union energy is being channelled in the direction of fairness. And, of course, you know, we always say on this show there is a union for everyone. You can join right now wherever you're listening to this show. If you have a device that is connected to the internet, you can be a union member before you get to the end of this podcast just go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W for week on Wednesday, and that link will take you directly to an Australian Union's uh, join page. It will help you through the whole process. Whatever industry you're in, whatever workplace you're in, that will help you join your union. And the messages we get from people, Van, it blows my mind. People who if you go, do join a union before the end of this show, you must tell us. <laughs> we would be absolutely thrilled. If you do it right now and tell us, we will uh, we will read out your message and in I one of say, our broadcasts. We get no commission on that. There's no we kind get of no commission. It's we not, are, we are, yeah, this is this is not a you know like cash for comment cash for comment scenario. <laughs> We actually believe these things. And, yes. and, you know, thank you to the ACTU and Australian Unions for setting up that link for us at our request because the stories we get from people who say things like, I hadn't been a member of my union before or I hadn't, I was a member years ago and then I didn't join but I listened to your show and listened to your show and I, and I finally joined. We got one this week where somebody, you know, had changed jobs you know, three years ago, there was nobody else in the union there. They've joined their union after listening to us for six months. Hey, look, it, it may not be the first episode you listen to that makes you join. It might take you six months, but we're going to keep keep saying it. AustralianUnions.org.au slash wow. Join online. Join right now because... And it's a tax deduction. It is a tax deduction, and we're all doing our tax returns, of course, at the moment. So it is... Really, really important because without the that critical mass of workers in unions, without a Labor government that is committed to improving productivity, lifting participation, building social infrastructure, and rebalancing power away from the profiteers in the economy, the Lamborghinis of the world, the Alan Joyce's of the world, the oil companies of the world, back into the hands wow, of... Wow, that's a, you know, what's the what's the bad guy opposite of the Hall of Justice, like the Cavern of Doom or something? I can't, I'm not really a DC person. Is the Hall of Villains? I don't know. I don't yeah, know Hydra. Them. It's basically Hydra. It's basically Hydra. Yeah, it's, it's basically Hydra. Run. Alan Joyce, Lamborghini and fossil fuel companies. Basically Hydra. Basically Hydra. You know, the way that we get our first share That's is- a hashtag that should trend, I'm just going to say. <laughs> Alan Joyce is basically Hydra. <laughs> He's, He's basically Red Skull. He's basically Red Skull. And a big shout out to um, Qantas who are following me on Twitter now. Hello. 
Look, we love the staff at Qantas. There's no question about we that. We do. We're very loyal to the staff at Qantas because, you know, they've they the staff at Qantas, some of the most extraordinary emotional experiences I've ever had. Airports are intense emotional places. They are intense. And for somebody like me who lived overseas for so long, so many like breakups and, you know, being separated from my family and the rest of it, like there is an element of customer care that goes into that job that you notice when you're bawling your eyes out because you've just broken up with your boyfriend at the airport, can I just say. I'll see if I can All roads led me to you, Benny. All (laughs) roads led me to you. That's right. And we're very happy together. But (laughs) (laughs) Well, very happy together even if we're not always physically together. But, you know, one of the things I really want to stress here is that people talk about cost of living. Well, what Labor is doing and what the union movement is doing by, you know, for example, New South Wales rail workers are going to take more industrial action this week. And I want to give a shout out to the rail workers who've been contacting me on our social media channels to, to tell me about what's going on there because it is about safety. It is about us as the travelling public and what's going to happen to us. Um, you know, it is also about cost of living and it, it's about making sure that working people, everyday working people can afford to go to work and can afford to do the jobs on rail. Um, not to name drop that I watch question time, I've been watching Question Time this week, but there was an extraordinary encounter on this very subject in Question Time where Angus Taylor, who is the shadow treasurer, words that never cease to amuse me, uh, asked Treasurer Jim Chalmers, you know, what has Labor actually done to address the cost of living? And Jim Chalmers was like, I just want to say, like, a huge thank you to whoever set Angus Taylor up in particular to ask me that question. And then he proceeded to obviously name all these projects that Angus Taylor had been responsible for that had been disastrous, all of these terrible government decisions, the economy that Labor has inherited from the Liberals, which is a a mess. And Jim Chalmers was like, how can you say that we're not doing anything about cost of living when we are improving standards in aged care and taking that burden off families? How can you, what do you think childcare is? You know, what do you think all these opportunities we're creating, the jobs, the 600,000 jobs they're creating with with the climate change policy and climate action? Like, he was like, do you actually understand how Australians live and what they spend their money on? And the fact that these services and opportunities provided by government are actually a tangible relief in the cost of living. But it's like, well, the coalition didn't really do anything apart from make everybody very unhappy for nine years. So maybe we have forgotten that government services, quality health care, aged care, uh, child care, educational opportunity, all of these things create jobs. They create standards for jobs that flow into the private sector as well, which means pay goes up. You know, they take pressure off us. It's transitioning the Australian economy to renewable power. It is the cheapest form of power in the world. The maths are in. The CSIRO have done the numbers. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get into climate because I do, but I do want to focus on some of those other what are often I think wrongly referred to sort of as just social policies because they are they are social infrastructure policies yes and they are fundamental to how a, a modern economy operates how modern society operates you know you you like to talk about the fins and not wasting a brain that means having accessible childcare and you know the point the 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 only point the is we're talking about the people of Finland, yeah, not like yeah. people down the road whose surname is Finn, by the oh, way, no. which you know in our no, case no. is Bernie Finn, who we're definitely not talking about. <laughs> 
But the 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 point I want to make there well, because that brain has been wasted. Let me tell you, it it's 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 for a long time. It's gone. It's, oh, yeah, yes. it's added. But staying focused ever. for a moment on the outcome is that when childcare was made free by the Morrison government uh, for a brief window of time during the pandemic, do people remember what happened to inflation? It became deflation. The cost of living literally dropped. It was cheaper for people to live. Suddenly, there was a huge incentive for particularly women, but parents of either, either whatever gender to go to work because it wasn't going to cost them money. So here there is these are real economic policies. They have real tangible impacts on everyday working people's lives. And for Angus Taylor and Peter Dutton, of all people, to stand up there and pretend like, oh, that's not a tax cut, that's not an economic policy, is just the most ridiculous piece of vinyl puppeteering I can imagine. I felt really sorry for Angus Taylor, also words I never thought I would live to say. <laughs> but it was just like, dude, what do you? how were you possibly in the cabinet of a government for years in this country and you've never made the correlation that childcare is an economic issue or cost of living and productivity issue? Like how have you not got that? And it's because they just live in the rarefied blue ties, suit every day environment of conservative nuffery. That's why. Well, I want to point out too that, you know, the the creation of Skills Australia and Minister Brennan O'Connor pushing that forward, I think, is so important because for the, the a decade you've had Angus Taylor with his McKinseyan, which is a, a consulting firm which subscribes to this neoliberal ideology in a really big way. Yeah, it's who Hydra outsourced to. For, yeah, basically like, they, they created Enron. They created Enron, and if you're not old enough to know what Enron is, Google it and then just be horrified. Um, basically, they were all from McKinsey, and that's where yeah, Taylor comes from. You know, they they were more than happy to import. And, ex- and exploit workers uh, who had skills that were needed here and now and do nothing to skill up people who are living in Australia, whether they're citizens, permanent residents, you know, here for a short time, hopefully here for a long time. Labor is moving on that in a really big way and, of course, getting nothing but grief from the Liberals on this issue. You know, that that is a government that did nothing to help lift the skill level of Australia. They're happy to walk around in blue ties. They're happy to make it more expensive to go to university. They're happy to make sure that workers can be exploited and shipped in and shipped out, but they didn't do anything about skills. And now, of course, we've got the great, as you've already mentioned, Van, the greatest opportunity and challenge of, of, of our generation, if not since the Second World War, to change the way our entire electricity system works and and Labor's doing it, and and I want to let's let's move into it because you touched on it. Let's move into it. Climate change targets are going to be law. We we are repowering Australia. This is the Labor policy position: repowering Australia. Love it. We're going to have new jobs. They're going to be well-paid jobs. Power's going to be cheap again. Angus Taylor and Peter Dutton. I, I just I you know. I just hope they've got really good therapy pets in that side of the building up there in Parliament House because I think they're going to need it. I think it's going to be a long, cold winter. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, everybody's nicer with a pet. (laughs) Everybody's nicer with a pet. Everybody's nicer with a pet. 
everyone. Everyone is nice with a pet. But of course, we've seen today Labor's uh, desire to legislate the 43% emission reduction will get the support of the Greens. Uh, it still won't get the support of Peter Dutton and Angus Taylor. Which is extraordinary. Anthony Albanese said, you know, it's extraordinary. The world is warming and the coalition are frozen in time just refusing to move an inch. It was interesting. I watched the ABC. I'm watching a lot of the ABC at the moment. Obviously, at home with my mother, it never gets turned off. Um, David Wenham interviewing John Howard last night, also words that I never thought I'd live to see. And John Howard was like, oh, yes, well, you know, I'm not sure I'm entirely comfortable with, you know, people having to give up things that they've had for years, you know, and well, I just don't know how I feel about this climate thing. And it's like... Dude, come on. <laughs> like, things change. Material reality has different courses and shapes. And as a species, what we learnt at some point was adapt or die. And, you know, that's probably the most important lesson of humanity is adapt or die. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, oh, I don't really know how I feel about that. And it's like <laughs> climate change doesn't care about your feelings, friend. No, and I have to say one of the things about the Repowering Australia uh, policy that is about adaption uh, rather than death, uh, if I can put it that way, is that there will be a transition authority. You know, this is – we've talked about this so many times before. You and I, you know, we were in Paris during COP21. We were. By the way, everybody, did you know we were in Paris during COP21? We were in Paris. (laughs) We've only said it a thousand times. Ben and I went to Paris – and it was pretty good. But, but you know, this this concept, and I appreciate that there is loaded language here and it's become a political football, but the, the, the reality is, and what we're seeing in WA, happening in WA right now with communities in and around Collie, is that if you have proper tripartite commitment that is government, that is employer, that is community uh, and workers coming together and working through what the future might look like and how the future, how to avoid a really negative future, then you can shape it in a positive way. And that's what we have this opportunity to do now. We, we, you know, there are so many, so many on board. You think about you've got Australian unions on board, Australian uh, Conservation Foundation are on board, the Australian Industry Group, the Business Council of Australia, the Farmers Federation. I mean, that, you know, in, some would say that's another rogues gallery, but it's a, a gallery of people who represent a lot of Australians, whether they represent them as workers, as employers, as economic contributors, as the producers of our food. These are people who have a lot of representation behind them. And they're saying 43% emission reduction is achievable. It is our floor. We wanted it in law. The Greens have finally come to the table and gone, well, you know, with all the kind of rhetoric about it not being enough and all the rhetoric about we want The Greens, uh, uh, you know, and I will say this outright, what is the point of them? Seriously, because it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're going to make all these impossible demands and we're really going to push Labor and actually we're not going to do anything. We're going to vote up the Labor agenda because we don't really understand how power influence works because if we actually wanted power influence to implement our agenda, we would have all joined the Labor Party. I just, you know, I find it extraordinary that so much money, and I want people to understand this, for the Greens to take a seat 
it requires them to have like 20 to 1 funding of what their opponents have. Like I watching campaigns in the inner city of Melbourne for years and years, millions and millions and millions of dollars largely spent on wasteful failing campaigns from the Greens, but to get the seat takes a lot of money. And then they get these small handful of seats and they do literally nothing. Well, they they either vote up Labor's policy or vote with the Liberal Party. On that, literally nothing, doing literally nothing, Max Chandler Smith? Martha. Don't know. The the guy who took a seat off Cherry Butler, um, who was the former Labor Shadow Environment Minister responsible for the development of lots of Labor policy in this particular area, who I'd like to congratulate on becoming the chair of Circular, which is an organisation devoted to economic cooperation to develop the circular economy. Rather practical for the environment. Hmm. So this guy, Max, uh just didn't turn up to a vote today. So there was a, actually, we didn't touch on it before, very quickly, historic vote giving territories the right to decide their own position on voluntary assisted dying laws, something John Howard took away from the territories has been restored. It's the first time a right has been restored to the territories uh, in, in I think, 25 years. Yeah, incredible, incredible yeah. moment, historic moment. Uh, Max didn't turn up, turned up late. Uh, apologised to turning up late, didn't really offer a reason why, said he would have voted for it. Thanks, mate. Your vote was pointless. Then has gone about creating a stunt to drown that out by getting up to ask his question in question time without wearing a tie, which is a silly thing. I don't wear a tie. I'm not a big tie guy. But it is a convention of the House that men wear ties on the floor of Parliament. He knows that. His staff know that. Adam Bant, who has been in that House for so long now, absolutely knows that. But Max, who for unexplained reasons couldn't be bothered turning up to actually vote on something that mattered, needed a distraction. So now what is social media full of? Oh, you know, picking on the green for not wearing a tie. It's like, hmm, stunt politics once again from the greens. Stunt Politics 101. Sad, sad to see. Oh, it just breaks my heart that you have a genuine a genuine environmentalist, somebody who has done more work in the research for the research and implementation of actual policy and legislation, not to, the phenomenal amount of work that she personally did um, on, on developing Labor's environmental law policy for the, the like. I cannot believe that people who think they're environmentalists would look at Terry Butler and go, actually, I'm going to vote for the no-tie guy who has achieved nothing, who has made no contribution in the parliament apart from not even turning up to one of the earliest votes on really important acknowledgement of territory rights, literally the right of families to determine. And it wasn't on party lines. It was it was a free vote across the parliament. Some Libs voted for it. Some Labor voted against it. It got up. The territories now have that right, which personally I'm very glad to see because it should be a matter for the territories and the states. But yeah, it's pretty remarkable. But the good news in this space is that Labor will legislate this. It, it now comes down, Van, you know, I'm, 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 maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit because it's David Pocock or Jackie Lambie and her network, uh, uh, her and Tammy Tyrell, or Point Hanson. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Malcolm Roberts are required or some combination thereof to add to the 
bundle of Labor senators and the bundle of Green senators for this to become law. Now, the general expectation is that that will occur, that they've either either and or David Pocock or uh, the Jackie Lambie Network will vote for it. Remains to be seen. We'll see what happens in the next uh, 24 hours, I guess, on that front. But it does look very, very promising. Well, Chris Bowen was saying in uh, Question Time today that Labor have secured the votes to pass the legislation in the House and the Senate. Fantastic. So that was very exciting. And I do, I've, I've got to say, look, I'm a huge Chris Bowen fan. Um, I, I certainly recommend people check out his Wikipedia page to see just how many portfolios that particular individual has held in the Parliament of Australia. To say that he has policy breadth is is one of the great political understatements of our time. And, you, you know, I remember at the time that um, Bowen was given the climate change portfolio, people were like, oh, that's a demotion. This is a man who used to be shadow treasurer. I've got to say, didn't look like a demotion when he was mincing the Liberals in <laughs> in Parliament today. It was extraordinary. And he was t- he was obviously exultant about the fact that this legislation was going through. He's done the work. He got the heads in the room. He has made it happen. But he he uh, responded to some question about, oh, you know, how is this actually going to help Australia? And it's like, well, you know, maybe we won't burn to death in a climate fire. And he went and he attacked the Liberals for saying the only solution you have is nuclear power. That's the only one. And then he he created this analogy and he mentioned that the CSIRO have costed it and said renewables are the cheapest and fastest way and will create all these jobs and the rest of it and Chris Bowen used this beautiful metaphor he was like you know the the liberals pursue nuclear power which is slower and more expensive it's like going to a restaurant and ordering a a less good meal that will be more expensive and take weeks to get to your table and then came the absolute corker he went you know you have the option of having wagyu and instead you've gone for a well done angus <laughs> and this is of course a reference to the infamous comment that angus taylor himself you know yes. obviously yeah, well accidentally done, put under his own name um which what it was a fantastic well well done fantastic great work well done angus yeah yeah fantastic good move well done angus yeah that's right look it is we, we should talk about the Liberals because, you know, there's a lot going on in in the world of the Australian Liberal Party. And what is the point of having a victory if you can't grind your enemy's bones into the dust, Ben, eh? Eh? Well, you know, not only is Dutton not going to move on emissions reduction, he is fixated on nuclear still, um, a decade of being in government. They couldn't make it work from government, but they're commissioning the same member of their caucus to look at it once again. So thank you for wasting our taxpayer dollars on that, Peter Dutton. Um, God knows you wasted enough of them when you were a minister. But Putting aside just the straight up waste and incompetence, there's been there's been some really quite devastating revelations coming out of both the New South Wales branch of the Liberal Party and of course in the Victorian branch of the Liberal Party as well, Van. Let's start by what's going on in New South Wales, because of course the New South Wales uh, liberals are in government there, so this is even more scandalous perhaps than what's gone on in Victoria. Stuart Ayres, who is the Deputy Premier, is that right? 
Uh, Stuart Ayres is definitely Deputy Premier, yes. Well, now former Deputy Premier. <laughs> uh, well, yes, sorry. He's the former Deputy Premier in the revolving door nature of ministerial appointments in New South Wales. He is the second minister this week to have to step back. That's right. I forgot that there was another minister and, you know, her name yes. escapes me. Yes. Uh, her name her name escapes me as well, which is terrible. But I am Victorian even when I am in New South Wales. <laughs> That's right. Um, and for people around the rest of the country, frankly, it probably uh, isn't a name you'll recognise. Anyway, I know I had to look it up when I first saw it. Eleni Patinos, who's the Fair Trading Minister, who uh, – was subjected to a number of bullying allegations from her workplace staff. Um, a number of complaints had been made. She has vigorously denied the allegations, but she has been sacked by Dominic Perrottet. Um, and it is extraordinary because she actually has the responsibility of uh, overseeing uh, things like bullying issues in the workplace. Yeah, great. So maybe, not, maybe not a great... Great confluence of events for her in in this particular way, but yeah, she's been sacked by um, by Dominic Perrottet. But it speaks volumes, doesn't it? Because we know that in New South Wales, the the workers, particularly public sector workers, whether they're nurses, whether they're transport workers, whether they're teachers, feel undervalued, underappreciated, uh, are not given the support that they need. And here you've got ministers bullying staff, not taking their responsibilities seriously. And even the Deputy Premier, Deputy Leader of the Liberal Party, Stuart Ayres, has got embroiled in the John Barillaro New York posting saga. Uh, uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving the John Barillaro uh, you know, f- sailing a pork barrel to New York escapade has just been, um, it's been amazing. It's been totally amazing. So Stuart Ayres is caught up in it. Ben, I, I think you have the step-by-step of what has happened. You and I were discussing this earlier and, and you, you plotted it out like a Hollywood movie. It was beautiful. Well, look. You know, I don't like to give Ben Fordham too much credit because uh, he's sort of, you know, in the Ben Club. He's over there somewhere far to the right of me. But he he did a wonderful job simply eviscerating uh, Stuart Ayres on his radio show yesterday. Where he the, the best bit is that the clip of him doing this, it, the camera is entirely on Stuart Ayres and you just watch a man over like a glorious minute and a half watch his career die like in just in his in his facial reactions to what Fordham is doing to him if you've ever wanted to know what it'd be like if humans were all balloons and one deflated over the period of one minute it it is definitely what happens in the Stuart Ayres Ben Fordham interview it's like watching a full-grown man sweat off enough weight to become a jockey instantaneously like it's it's almost impossible to look away but at the same time quite gross to watch um he Fordham just laid it out. He just said, you know, so John Barillaro created these positions. Your John Barillaro was a friend of yours. John Barillaro took it to Cabinet to remove these positions from the public service and put them into the remit of the minister to appoint. Somebody else was appointed through an external process. That person was then told they weren't going to be appointed. Uh, it was then re-advertised. You forwarded the ad to your friend, John Barillaro. John Barillaro was not 
the most suitable candidate. Then somehow or another, magically, he was the most suitable candidate and then your office appointed him to this role and yet somehow or another you expect us to believe that this is all above board and totally kosher. And, and you know, at that point, basically, um, Stuart Ayres has lost enough sweat to jump on a Melbourne Cup winning horse and ride it to victory because he was totally skewered. And clearly, uh, at that point, Don Perrottet had realised yeah, we're not going to get through this if we keep ourselves tied to this cement block. We're going to have to cut him loose. And that's what he's done. You know, Stuart Ayres' political career is over. Dominic Perrottet uh, is teetering, it's fair to say, in New South Wales. He's got to face an election in March. I mean, he'll hang on because what else is he going to do with his life, frankly? Well, no, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the thing. Like, he could kids. He could, he, could, he could genuinely and legitimately say, I'm going to spend time with my family and, and give them, you know, there's eight of them, so what's that, four hours each? I don't know. How many hours in a day? I, I love you, but it would be three. And three. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, something. That would that would be probably more than they're getting now. Like, you know, not, not trying to be offensive, but he's a busy, busy guy. Um, look, the other, the Victorian Liberal Party is also racked by scandal this week. It's uh, amazing to see. Um, Matthew Guy, who I know you love, Van, for his uh, lobster with a mobster uh, past, is it a past? Is oh, it, no, it's an ongoing. Uh, I love it. I love. I love it as a meme, because obviously Matthew Guy, the minister for turning Melbourne into a city of shadows, with you know absolutely out of control overdevelopment in the inner city, Matthew Guy. Um, was ruined in his last attempt at liberal leadership because it came out that he had literally had a lobster dinner with a mobster. What an absolute gift to the enemies of neoliberalism um, to to have such a tabloid headline-worthy scandal. And literally the jokes wrote themselves. And since that point, Matthew Guy has been followed by trade unionists all around the state of Victoria who dress up as lobsters and sing lobster songs and have a, like a 20-foot inflatable lobster that appears wherever Matthew Guy goes. And, of course, he lost the leadership of the Liberal Party and went to that guy who no one knew at the time and knows even less about now. Very few people managed to be even less recognisable after a period of party leadership, but he, he managed it. And, of course, now Guy is back. And, fortunately, the unionists who were doing the lobster protest still had all the props. That's so they follow him around Victoria with this massive, massive lobster. And the photos are hilarious because Matthew Guy has grown used to it. It's like, yeah, hi, I'm Matthew Guy. I'm the leader of the Liberal Party. And behind me, and at a 50-metre distance, is a 20-foot lobster and a whole bunch of people grooving to the B-52s. Like, it is amazing. And the fact that that's just become part of his landscape, like, oh, yeah, you know, me and my 20-foot lobster shadow, it's just one of the most absolutely ex- exquisite things in Australian politics ever. And every day of my life, you know, like the 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 fire of the trade union movement, you know, causes my heart to pump and my, my blood to flow through my body. Like I'm a unionist. When I wake up, when I go to bed and I will be one after I die. And the fact that the movement has given to me the spectre of Matthew Guy followed everywhere by a 20-foot lobster for the rest of his political career it's just it's it, it's just a blessing. Well, it's, it's a blessing. 
One suspects that after this week's revelations, he will be less happy to smile in front of that lobster because his chief of staff, a guy by the name of Mitch Catlin, who ran a communications consultancy firm uh, prior to becoming Matthew Guy's chief of staff, uh, has had to resign following an email chain which showed he was negotiating a $125,000 contract to be paid to uh, Mitch Catlin's uh, company uh, with a billionaire donor. So the donor still remains unknown at this point. Matthew Guy has said nothing was signed. The emails clearly show uh, Mitch Catlin communicating with Matthew Guy as well as the donor and there being a full, um, I guess, backwards and forwards of email trails here. It's pretty pretty cut and dry. Uh, but Matthew Guy's defence on this is nothing was signed and therefore no, nothing was wrong. Uh, not sure oh, that's holding oh, up. Well, then, I mean, that's totally fine. Well, it doesn't no, seem to be holding hey, up. Chill out, Matthew. Like, if nothing was signed, they just, I mean, everything's fine then. Well, it doesn't seem. Only considering doing something corrupt. Well, it doesn't seem to be holding up, Van, because the VEC has already announced it's beginning an inquiry into the situation. The Victorian government has referred it. I'm and- reviewing the situation. <laughs> once a villain, one's a villain to the end. Sorry, I just have to have a little musical theatre moment because I'm enjoying this so very much. And, of course, the Victorian government has wasted no time in referring this to every agency one can think of, and, in fact, some that perhaps didn't even occur to me. So Victoria Police have been uh, – it's been referred to Victoria Police, the VEC, obviously, who've already announced their review, uh, the Ombudsman, uh, the Independent uh, Commission Against Bribery and Corruption, uh, and the Australian Federal Police, because there may well have been federal electoral laws breached here as well. Can I just yeah. say, isn't this the Liberal Party in Victoria that has relentlessly harassed the Labor Party for um, for for staffers of Labor MPs doing campaign work in the community, yeah. which you know, and there were issues with timesheets and things not filled out properly. Is and this has been an issue for how long? Three years. You know, oh, okay. recently it, the ombudsman came out and said, "Give it a rest." Like this, yeah. we're done here. Exonerated you know, was the the headline. I yeah, think even Harold Sun ran it. Actually exonerated. You know, there were like arrests made that shouldn't have been made. You know, like this is ridiculous. Yet, yeah, like yes, there were issues. Yes, the party has accounted for them. This is not a thing. Stop trying to make red shirts a thing. Yeah. And at the same time, they're taking cash for influence. Well, it's. I'm just it's like, not, hmm. I don't know. One of these well, things is, the thing. is not like the other. One of <laughs> these is, things is not the same. Yep. This is the thing, isn't it? Because it's a question of is it cash for influence? Is it, ca- is it trying to avoid? Of course, Victoria has very strict donation cap laws, and this looks very much like an attempt to get around those laws. Uh, You can only give around $4,200 as an individual. Your company can give $4,200. So this donor could have given, you know, 8500 nearly, but this looks like an attempt to extract more money. And one would assume that once you've gone down the road of dirty money, there's going to be some kind Once of... Once you've gone down the road of dirty money, forever will it dominate your destiny. And I want to say here too, Van, back on New South Wales just for a moment, I think it's important that we do give a shout-out to Unions New South Wales who are currently fighting against Dominic Perrottet's 
uh, anti-union laws. We know that there's been strikes from uh, the nurses, from the teachers. Uh, we know transport strikes are happening as well. Dominic Perrottet, his government in chaos, his deputy premier having to resign, still wants to push ahead with laws to levy fines on working people. It goes to that point that you just raised. The Liberals on one hand are happy to push down, slap around, fine working people, our parties, our unions. But when push comes to shove and the rubber hits the road and whatever other metaphor I can throw in there, the reality is these are the people doing the wrong thing. The Liberals are the people doing the wrong thing. Stuart Ayres, Matthew Guy's chief of staff, clearly clearly have been doing the wrong thing. Otherwise, they wouldn't have resigned. If there was nothing to answer for, then there would have been no resignation. But Generally, when people say, I'm going to fight these allegations and fight them, like, yeah, like there's a reason why they're confident that they can fight the allegations. When people are like, oh, well, yeah, well, it's not true, but I'm resigning anyway, I always I always find that interesting. Yeah. So let's get on to some good news uh, besides the total implosion of the uh, New South Wales. I mean, that, 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 that is pretty – I mean, as somebody who is in New South Wales, I will say this for New South Wales, it is really awesome that you can just use your debit card to ride public transport here. It's so much better than fiddling around with a Mikey card. Um, I think they're doing that in Queensland now too. I saw our uh, – It's really it's really good. So New South Wales, I will give you that. I saw Lance McCallum, our friend Lance McCallum, who's a minister in the government in Queensland, uh, posted a video on his social media about the trial of doing something similar uh, up in his uh, neck of the woods. So Queensland might be about to join New South Wales and then, you know, that's one Labor state and the whole domino system falls. Isn't that how that works? I don't know. I, I was never good at Cold War theory. Good news. We need to get on to the good news. Okay, so a few months ago, um, maybe even years ago, we've been doing this podcast for so long, uh, we talked about a Dutch environmental entrepreneur whose name is Boyan Slat. Boyan Slat's in his 20s and he's decided he's going to depollute the oceans of plastic. And, you know, I just want to say, yeah, do it. Like, because there, we are. It, well, there is now so much plastic in the ocean that there is a floating island mm. um, in the Pacific that is known as the GPGP, which is the um, Great Pacific what? Garbage Patch. Sounds like the worst kind of doll you could give someone at Christmas, doesn't it? It's it's terrible. Like it's just you know this horrible symbol of humanity's carelessness with the planet that there is this massive, 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 like glump of plastic in the in what should be the beautiful you know blue lagoon themed Pacific Ocean. Anyway, what Boyan Slat has done is he's been pioneering a form of garbage collection that actually works with currents. It's real, It's simple and clever um, and it's about looking at where the plastic is coming from and how to channel the plastic into garbage collection. And the the system that he's been using with the Great Pacific, the Great Pacific Garbage with the GPGP, um, which is his system 2.0 because he's constantly modifying yeah. and trialling it, um, which he calls Jenny, which is a bit weird. Uh, it, but okay, like if it gets plastic out of the ocean, you can call it Serafina. I do not mind. Call it Van. Um, it's got 
a quarter of a million pounds of plastic out of the ocean, which is an enormous amount. Um, and they've managed to constantly refine the processes and it's taken out 100,000 pounds of plastic garbage this year. This is really great news. The not-so-good news is that at this rate, we'll get all that plastic out of the ocean in a 1,000 years. That's how much plastic is there. That is a but, lot. Yeah, that's that's a lot. But Boyan Slat, this is his thing. Like this is what he's doing with his life. Someone's got to save the world and he's decided this is how he's going to make his contribution, that they're working on the development of a system 3.0 which is 10 times more effective, which means we can get all the plastic out of the ocean in 100 years. But as I'm constantly arguing with people on the internet at Infinitum, the thing about environmental progress and science and invention is that it, it requires a force of momentum. You actually have to start doing something for from little things, big things grow. But if you have missed the point of the from little things, big things grow, somebody actually has to start somewhere for momentum to take place but it is really interesting so that plastic the gpgp 90 percent of it comes from five rivers only five rivers are required to deposit that amount of plastic and of course river cleanup and looking at processing plastic and plastic waste at the source is what boyan slat is working on and his ambition is to have like plastic collection and depollution systems in 5,000 river systems over the next 10 years. And it's extraordinary. Like it's practical, it's direct, it's material, it actually deals with the problem. And I think it's to be applauded. You know, he copped a lot of criticism. People are like, oh, yeah, this is never going to work and this is crazy and blah, blah, blah. But he's doing it, you know. And and can I just say, I think, you know, credit to Boyan Slat, you've got a young person out there giving this a red hot go, making, making it happen, improving the process, refining the process, uh, and, you know, this is actually going to benefit humanity, unlike, you know, your Elon Musk's uh, or your Jeff Bezos's who are basically just finding ways to extract more profit from the rest of us. They're blowing um, things up because they can afford to. Well, I'm going to go yeah. to space because I don't own Mars yet is like literally the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Worst Bond, Bond villains. Um, I want to add another piece of happy news about Boyan Slat's system yeah. is that the collection, because you think, you know, always you think about, well, I mean, I think about this, you know, how, how are we going to trawl plastic out of the ocean without killing marine life? Well, because they work with currents and the way the plastic flows and the rest of it, and it has a tiny, tiny impact on marine life. So of all of the weight of stuff that they've collected, less than a quarter of a percent of it has been marine life. And I think we have to balance that out too, right, because the the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is clearly not going to be great for marine life uh, if it continues to grow and choke fish and birds and other marine life. Uh, that is going to be bad for marine life. Probably much, much worse than the 0.25 of a percent that will get caught up in this system. Uh, it's great news, fantastic news, and it's such – I feel so energized by this episode today. Can I just say, I feel like there's so much good stuff going on here around the world. The collapse of the Liberal Party at a federal level and on the eastern seaboard is always something that gives me a sense of great joy, as you know, Van. Yeah. And of course, as always, we want to give a huge shout out and thanks to our supporters. People who go to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday who make a contribution to help us 
get our advertising out there, get the episode out there, get it out to people's ears. You know, we are averaging around 40,000 downloads a month now beyond our wildest dreams of how many people would listen to this show. Uh, you know, we've done it during lockdown. We've done it from different states. We've done a live show. We're hoping to do a fringe show later in the year in Melbourne. And it is the these people who jumped on board at the start of the year who are making monthly contributions, $20 a month for our cadre supporters, $10 a month for Extending the Reach, who are really just giving us the financial capacity to make this happen. Have you got the list there, Van? Will I've you got the it? list, baby. All right. You ready, Cadre? We'd like to thank at Jane C. Campbell, Leona Gibbon, someone at Jed Carney, Kristen Cole, Justin Dando, Tamara James, Bronwyn, Punch Drunk Veteran, at Jenny Forster 7, Joe Fleming, Andrew Pascoe, Cassandra Tui, Addison Official, Ian Hampson, no Twitter for me, Hannah Honda, Sam Harriet, Alexandra Sutherland, Matt Bush, no relation, Richard Sands, I'm not on Twitter, Glenn Robbie, Brash Daniels, Kylie Phillips, at Lee Archer, Linda Cartwright, at Lee and Shingles, Louise Moran, Donna Chapman, I don't have Twitter, my name is Susan Myers, at Kerry Nash 20, Billy 3 McCabe, Karen Will Robinson, Narissa Simon, at Cadigal, Lauren and Ash, Matthew Hadley, at Naranga Man, John Sharpen, Peter Barth, Aaron Rollins, Louise Watson, at Red, White and Blue Lou. Fantastic. And of course, you know where I spend most of my childhood with my dad. <laughs> And, of course, our Extend the Reach supporters. Stuart Munn, Adrian Valente, Maritza at Carriedale 68, Frank Nye, Erica Pizzuti, Claire, Joe Lapino, Steph, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Melanie Dinning, Jody A, not on Twitter, Karen Penelope Judge, Jane Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, Vicky Hanna at K Knight, Love Your Work, Dedhams, Sharon Kelly, Beck and Lola, Richard Graver, Someone, Vita W, Tanya George, Nadina Hannum, Bill Collis, Maria Louise Hawker, Megan Weckett, Graham Oxley, Beck Cody, Tracy Lucas, Belinda Bravo, Sandy Honan, at Galvez, Greg Martin, trainer amy Fawcett, not on twitter sarah eliane and andrew Ivor spillett andrew brian peter rossi linda sam hadid kia patterson lizard twizzle bunk and basher katie wood at the real never long body sandy bonegard at not sandy b and renee mcgee what a finish what a race i tell you it's been a great episode of the week on wednesday don't forget to check out the weekend wrap every sunday afternoon i will be doing that again uh and of it'll course, be our 100th episode next week it will be our hundred episode our hundredth episode next week we'll have to think of something special to do uh and i mean i can uh, do show tunes i'm just saying i can do show tunes as ben knows i can do show tunes you can indeed uh so until then, of course, uh, remember to check out our social media, like, share, you know, talk to people about these issues, uh, join your union, do all those things, uh, and we will talk again on Sunday. And if you joined your union over the course of this podcast, because you were listening to it on your computer, and I thought, you know, I think collective power is strength, um, you should let us know because we'd love that. And I should say, if you do become a supporter, we do have a buck a week supporter level and all of our supporters get every episode emailed to them along with links to interesting stories. And of course, we always send you Van's latest Guardian piece as well. So you can always get your eyes into what's going on around the world as well as your ears. Until then, love you, Vanny. I love you too. I miss you. Bye. Bye.